The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So, uh, good evening to everyone. For, to uh, good evening and welcome to the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Buddha Loka Buddhist Centre, and. On a very cold, windy night, isn't it? <laughs> it's quite a cold night. Quite amazing. Um, and my name is Ajahn Nisarano, and I've just introduced myself uh, for the... Uh, I think it's going on the internet, so that's quite good. And uh, I'm an Australian monk who ordained with Ajahn Brahm in Western Australia 23 years ago as a novice monk, but and 22 years ago as a full monk or a bhikkhu. But for the last uh, 13 and a half years, been living in Sri Lanka and visiting Australia. So, and I always have, as I mentioned, usually a connection with the Buddhist Society of Victoria because this is where I used to come as a layperson before I, I ordained. So, I, I know many people from the 1990s, and some of them <laughs> have popped off in the meantime. <laughs> and you see that happen, that's impermanence. So this evening um, we have the opportunity to meditate together and as usual I like to use the theme for the evening and the theme uh, for this evening is using wisdom in our meditation because wisdom is what the path aims at but of course we need wisdom on the way There's all the whole of the path actually and one of the, the first factor of the Noble Eightfold Path the beginning of the path, the Buddhist path is right view and this is the aspect of wisdom and understanding and I'd like to for this evening to talk about in terms of meditation two types of wisdom and that's the wisdom we need um, before the meditation comes together this is the wisdom that helps us deal with the hindrances to meditation and uh, so this is very important because if we do not, if we're unable to deal with the hindrances, then meditation, then wisdom cannot develop. Because the Buddha said that the hindrances to meditation are the hindrances to wisdom. <laughs> because meditation is the doorway we go through to develop wisdom. Meditation is the way we can bring the mind to stillness, to peacefulness, to power and depth, so we can see deeply into our experience of this body and mind, our bodies and minds. So this is a very important aspect to wisdom, actually, is using wisdom power to develop uh, the meditation, to allow the meditation to happen. Often we think we're doing the meditation, but in actual fact we're actually just creating the cause and conditions for these hindrances to drop, and when they drop, the meditation happens by itself and wisdom happens by itself too to a certain extent but of course after the meditation as I, I mentioned you know this is when the mind is very still very pure and it's hasn't uh, these um, negative aspects of the mind uh, we call the hindrances we call the defilements they have um, temporarily if, if the meditation has really worked they are uh, temporarily abandoned, let go of, and then we really have an opportunity, a window of opportunity we call it, <laughs> to see things as they truly are. And this is how the Buddha often taught. Because unless we 
can let go of these negative aspects of the mind, what we see will never, never be reliable. It will always be biased by what we like, what we dislike. And so this is the uh, purpose of wisdom. It's, it's the vehicle for the path and it's also the goal we're aiming for. Because in the end, it's the, the wisdom that liberates us. What, what does it liberate? It liberates the mind from its attachment to being born again and again and again. And so this is um, very, very deep wisdom that's required for that. And I like to quote uh, a verse, some verse from the Dhammapada. This is Ajahn Brahm's favorite verse. And you can see why in a minute. <laughs> and also Bhante Ji, he uses it often too. And it says that there is no jhana. Jhana is this very, very deep state of meditation, very, very peaceful where the mind has come together uh, in one-pointedness and goes very deep within the mind, goes within itself. And uh, the Buddha says, there is no jhana for one without wisdom. There is no wisdom for one without jhana. One who has both wisdom and jhana is close to nibbana, close to enlightenment. So that's that's a wonderful uh, saying. And it, it makes the point, very very obvious, that we do need this wisdom. And of course, what's the, the most... Uh, uh, well-known aspect of wisdom in Buddhism. Any ideas? I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's the most uh, famous, you'd say. Uh, no, I'll give a clue. It's four. Yes, yes. So that's it. Four noble truths. Because the Buddha, one of the definitions of right view, this is the view that is right in the sense that it takes us to enlightenment. One of the definitions is understanding the Four Noble Truths. And one of the definitions of ignorance of is not knowing the Four Noble Truths. And until we've really had deep insight into the Four Noble Truths, till we've realized it by direct experience, we don't really know it. But even to have an intellectual understanding of the Four Noble Truths is very helpful because it's so practical, not only for meditation, but for our lives as well. So I will look at in meditation experience or um, in terms of the, the Four Noble Truths and how we can use them. But this also applies to our lives as well because, as I say, this is our, you know, it's our experience which is the um, subject of wisdom. Our experience of our body and mind uh, is is the subject of wisdom. It's what leads to our liberation. It also leads to us understanding the world and other people and uh, becoming a basis for that immense compassion that uh, the Buddha had. Uh, because one who has wisdom that sees things as they truly are has a lot of compassion because they can see the bind <laughs> we're all in, human beings are in. So this is why uh, a wise being has a lot of compassion. So the first noble truth is uh, the... You know, the first noble truth, they often call it uh, the noble truth of suffering, they call it. It can be also thought of uh, as a noble truth of unsatisfactoriness. Um, the Buddha described the first noble truth as 
not getting what you want. <laughs> so it can be, we can be thought of as unsatisfactoriness or even the truth of not getting what you want. Because this is the, one of the definitions the Buddha gave. You know, he, he was very comprehensive in what suffering is. And this is what we experience in our meditation too. We can experience, hopefully not too much, <laughs> is the physical and the mental uh, aspect of suffering. So the, for the Buddha, you know, he talks about old age, sickness and death, birth, old age, sickness and death, can't, can't forget that one, as being uh, suffering. And then he mentions that uh, pain, grief, sorrow, lamentation and despair, they are also suffering. And most of those, yes, pain is in there as well, are mental, are mental suffering. So basically what he's talking about is that is the body and the mind, our body and mind, not somebody else's, <laughs> that's their business. But our body and mind is a subject of wisdom, of insight. And the Buddha said that all uh, unenlightened people are, are struck by two arrows. And the one arrow is the body, the suffering that comes from having a body, whatever it be, whether it be a human body, an animal body or whatever that will always have suffering associated with it in the sense of birth, old age, sickness and death. Um, so this is the physical side of it. But the arrow which a Buddha and enlightened beings remove is the suffering that comes from the mind and the suffering that uh, we add, we add through our um, uh, lack of wisdom, we add to our experience. So for instance, when we are sick, that's suffering, isn't it, for sure, that's difficult, that's definitely unsatisfactory, not the way we want. But then, if we add to that, you know, this, this uh, mental uh, aspect, which, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have this sickness, I don't, um, why me, <laughs> why me? And many of the ways we can regard our experience, they really add to it, and then I call it double dukkha. Dukkha is the word for uh, unsatisfactoriness or suffering and so it really adds to it but in in terms of meditation you know this suffering is is anything we see as an obstacle to the meditation and what can that be of course it's as I mentioned the body and we try to make the body as comfortable as possible we're not here to torture the body and uh, um, so this is one of the things that we can see, you know, the unsatisfactoriness, not the way we want it to be. When we uh, meditate, we notice the body. Sometimes there'll be aches and pains in the body. And we can, you can see not only the physical aspect, but the mental aspect too. You know, the, oh, I can't bear this. This is going on too long. I've got to, I've got to get up, or, you know, or injure myself or, you know, whatever it is, you know, so... And this, uh, so we tend, we tend uh, very naturally to go towards uh, um, pleasure, whatever form pleasure can come, but run away from pain. So when we experience pain in the body, difficulties in the body, we tend to become very averse to it, push it away. We want, we want uh, happiness, we want pleasure in our experience, whether it be mental or physical. So. Any, any sort of agenda that we bring to the meditation is bound to be 
a basis for unsatisfactoriness, bound to be cause for suffering. If we want to become uh, peaceful, we only want meditation to be peaceful. We, we think meditation is when we have no thoughts at all. And uh, we may have many, many different things. The shoulds, in what I'd call the shoulds. We may also have a list of the should nots, you know. They should not be thinking. They're pretty much the other side of the agenda. <laughs> should not. And these are obviously going to set us up for, uh, for suffering in our experience of meditation. And these expectations, you know, they really do set us up for disappointment. Not only in meditation, you see it in life. The more we expect from life, the more we expect from people, the more often we are disappointed. Because they are the way they are. Life is the way it is. It's not a, not a very tidy and neat affair at all. So, Now the Buddha was really... Um, encouraging the middle way, he often called the middle way, between the two extremes of getting involved in our um, uh, experience, usually indulging in pleasant things and trying to run away from the unpleasant things. So for, for the Buddha, you know, this is when he, when he was practicing uh, meditation, when he was developing his understanding, he had the experience of living in the palace and had all the luxuries and everything comfortable. And then when he left that, he realized that wasn't the way to happiness, to understanding, to wisdom. So he left that. And then he, when he went into the forest, when he went to practice spiritual life, he started tormenting the body. And after six years of that and nearly dying in the process, he realized that's not the way either. So he came to this middle way which is, in a sense, this way between indulging in looking for pleasant feeling and also indulging, in a sense, or being involved in with unpleasant feeling, tormenting the body, tormenting the mind, uh, as we can do in meditation. I should be better than this, you know. I, I'm a meditator. <laughs> we, can, we can torment ourselves. But rather to develop the middle way, which is more the way of equanimity, looking on, uh, learning from our experience. So this is uh, the way the Buddha was in, uh, practicing, the way he encouraged us to practice. And of course, you know, with uh, our meditation and with our experience of life, we need to be honest about what we're experiencing. Because the realization that, as I mentioned, he says, uh, the Buddha says that suffering or unsatisfactoriness is to be fully understood. And that takes a lot of honesty, really, to uh, fully understand what we're experiencing, acknowledge what it is. And it is just that, that we realize that this is suffering. You know, there is suffering. I'm experiencing suffering. I'm experiencing unsatisfactoriness. I'm not getting what I want. And this is not, uh, it's a way of looking at experience, not from a personal angle. He doesn't say, I am suffering. He's saying, the Buddha is saying, there is suffering, or this is a suffering, this is unsatisfactory. It's when we, the I or the me or mine gets involved, myself gets involved, that we, can, we cannot get, um, we can take everything so, so personally, and then we don't develop wisdom, we don't develop understanding. 
And uh, oftentimes people get so wrapped up in their, their difficulties in life, their problems in life, that they define, find themselves by it, identify with it. And so we see that in meditation too, you know. We start to think of ourselves, oh, I'm the sleepy one. You know, this is, this is my meditation is slumberland or something like that. You know, or I'm, you know, um, irritable or whatever it is we experience in the meditation. And often you can see desires rise up. And these, of course, are all the five hindrances, you know. We want to entertain ourselves. We want to uh, find some pleasure. But the process of insight is really um, ex- uh, being clear about what we're experiencing and accepting that it has arrived. It, it's here. That's what I am actually experiencing, um, this unsatisfactoriness, acknowledging it, knowing it, um, but not getting involved with it, not getting involved with it, accepting it but not getting involved with it and learning from it and letting go of it. The letting go, you know, often people say, how do you let go? <laughs> you don't. The mind will let go. When we understand things, then we, we let go of them. And a good example of that, I was talking the other day, it's a, a story Ajahn Brahm tells quite often, and this makes the point very, very well, about the man who went to the market to get, his wife asked him to get eggs from the market, went to the market, and he was abused by this young man who called him all all these names under the sun, and he got very upset, didn't buy the eggs and went home. And, uh, and uh, the wife uh, asked him where the eggs are, and he said, well, I didn't get the eggs, I got abused by this young man, you know, who was, he called me this and he called me that, and, and, and I was too upset. <laughs> who, could, who could shop after that? And then she said, oh, what does he look like? And she said, oh, him, oh, him. He had a head injury when he was very young. He had a head injury, and he's been crazy ever since. And when the man heard that, completely let go of it. He wasn't, the, the upset, the disturbance that he felt just went, because now he understood it. And it's true for all of us. When we understand an experience, it really enables us to let go of it. It just happens by itself, quite naturally. So the way I summarize uh, this first noble truth is to see it but not be it. This is a very different you know, way of experiencing life, to see what's going on but not become so involved, become so overwhelmed by it that we're consumed by it, we experience those states of uh, unhappiness, suffering, grief, um, all these things that can come up when we get involved with our, uh, what we're experiencing. And the second noble truth, or uh, do people know who, what the second noble truth is? I think I heard, hmm? Yeah, that's pretty good, yes. The, the cause or the origin of suffering. And everybody, people know this, we know this from the, the books, the cause of suffering is... Craving, yes, wanting, desire, wanting things to be other than they are at that particular moment. You know, that whatever our experience is at that at a particular moment, this happens in the meditation, this is how it is. <laughs> and uh, oftentimes we find that we, um, we don't want it to be like it is. You know, I'm not peaceful, <laughs> I want to be peaceful, well, I'm uncomfortable, I want to be comfortable. 
And so we see the mind become irritated, upset, disturbed. And this is, the Buddha says, the origin of um, unsatisfactoriness, not getting what we want. And he says, this is to be abandoned. <laughs> That's great, you know, to, to abandon. We don't use that word much in English, but let go of is probably a better word, isn't it? Let go of. And that is let go of by wisdom, actually. Wisdom helps us let go. And Ajahn Brahm, of course, he asks people, he asks, we can ask ourselves, what sort of meditation are we practicing? Are we practicing second noble truth meditation? That's really good. I mean, that's brilliant to, to say that. Because second noble truth meditation is the sort of meditation where we want so much. We've got our, our, we call it bucket list of things that we want to achieve in the meditation, what we want to experience in the meditation. We want peace, we want bliss, we want, you know, any, all these things. We want wisdom, we want understanding. And the bigger the bucket list, of course, uh, the more or the more unlikely it is we will experience those things actually, and uh, so they are disturbances to the mind and uh, disturbances to our lives, and we can see this in our life as well, just in our daily life. And we should use these four noble truths for you know reflecting on our lives too, seeing life through the lens of Dhamma, seeing life through the lens of of a Buddha, you know, how a Buddha would see the life, see life. So this second noble truth is all about wanting. And of course, mostly in our lives, we think, don't we? It's, this is how we usually think, that if we can fulfill our wanting, we'll be happy. And uh, for many people, the idea of freedom of desire is what they want, they think, you know go to Chadston with unlimited spending power. That's, that's, that'll be happiness. I can get whatever I want and then I'll be happy. Got to carry it out to the car as well. <laughs> well probably can get somebody else to do it. Um, so we have to be in our meditation. We have to ask ourselves what do we want from our meditation and be aware if there is this sort of wanting, these expectations, this, these demands uh, that we uh, seeking from our meditation, uh, as I mentioned uh, before, and uh, so these these things um, they create the difficulty in the meditation. They create the difficulties in our lives when we want things to be the way um, we want, the way they're not at that particular moment. Then we are heading for you know the experience of unsatisfactoriness, difficulty, and problems. There is a form of desire that often uh, people will ask, and I, uh, I know uh, I've been asked this m many times, but if we didn't have the desire to meditate, if we didn't have the desire to, to, uh, uh, for liberation of the mind, how could we progress? And of course there are different types of desires. And the types of desires the Buddha is mainly uh, seeing as negatives are those desires that... Uh, those desires that lead to us being reborn again and again, desires that are leading towards the towards liberation, wanting to end desire, wanting to give up desire. Um, he he would encourage. Um, to a certain extent, they will bring some suffering because even if you if you want to 
your desire to develop meditation, there will be some, you know, in the sense that there can be, there will be difficulties along the way, you know, and the stronger the desire for particular types of meditation, there will be also disappointments if we can't experience those. So the Buddha is actually talking about freedom from desire. That's what Ajahn Brahm talks about as the third noble truth. So freedom of desire is what people are pursuing in the world, what we're looking for our happiness from. So we think if we can have enough experience, you know, good experience, pleasant experiences, then we'll be happy. But actually, in actual fact, we all know where that leads to, a sense of emptiness <laughs> and a, de- a law of diminishing return, that it's the, what made us happy before is not necessarily as good the second time and so on. And so this is uh, this is an aspect of our experience, um, and when we see that in our meditation, we can see, you know, we can see the meditation is not going well. We can just ask ourselves, you know, what do I want? What do I expect? You know, just to identify what may be a hindrance to the meditation at that stage, and that that can, when we see it, often that's enough. And then we can, you know, seeing it, we can let it be um, and recognize it. So this can be very helpful, actually. And the third noble truth, this is the uh, cessation of unsatisfactoriness, is to be realized. Cessation of suffering is to be realized. And this is where Ajahn Brahm asks, are we practicing third noble truth meditation? Are we practicing second noble truth meditation? Or are we practicing third noble truth meditation? So second noble truth meditation leads to a lot more suffering. <laughs> and third noble truth is giving up those, uh, those uh, desires, those cravings, wanting things to be other than they are at that moment. And Ajahn Brahm, very, and I mentioned it a moment ago, he calls that the freedom from desire, the freedom from desire. Once we have a desire, we have a sense of lack. We haven't got what we want. We haven't got what it takes to, to make us happy. When we have free from desire, then we haven't got that torment, that sense of lack. We're content with what we're experiencing now. It's that what we're experiencing is fine, is, is good enough. So this is the uh, second, third noble truth, this, as it were, um, letting go of these desires, letting go of craving. And we see the, um, the natural, very, very immediately if we're successful, the mind becomes peaceful. The mind uh, uh, goes to this towards this peace. So, how do we let go? Well, we don't really, <laughs> as I keep saying. The mind lets go when it sees things quite in a correct or clear fashion. But it is from not getting involved with these desires, not this wanting, this craving. Um, or, or you know, wanting to get rid of things. This is a, a is also a desire, and instead having an acceptance of what is here now, and um, making pe- peace with that, making peace with it. 
So in that way, we're not uh, we're allowing it to drop and uh, not giving it energy, not feeding these desires, and we're just looking at them. So this is um, it brings uh, peace, definitely brings peace and happiness in the mind, and I know um, Ayakima would do. Uh, a very nice she's a she was a Buddhist uh, nun and she would do a very nice experiment you can do it yourself now actually think of something you really want at the moment whatever it is you know um, in your life and uh, that you don't have yet <laughs> whatever it is you can think of that bring it to mind very clearly how it feels when you want that what is that promising me? And you can just experience what that feels like. And then she would say, just imagine letting go of wanting that thing or that person or that situation. Just let it drop. And then just see what that feels like. And of course, you know, we it immediately has that sense of peace, the sense of battle, the battle is over. And uh, hopefully, hopefully that's what you experience. I do when I, when I used to listen to Ayakema. So this is the third noble truth of uh, coming to terms with uh, what we don't want by accepting it, allowing it to be, not getting involved, um, seeing it for what it is and developing the wisdom that comes from that, that lets go naturally by itself. And the fourth noble truth, of course, is the whole path of, of uh, practice that the Buddha was encouraging. And this is, the, the Buddha said, this path leading to the ending of unsatisfactoriness or suffering is to be developed. So this is something we develop not only in our lives, not only in the meditation. It's in our lives and the meditation. Where the meditation is very helpful is because this is where we can recondition the mind, where we can, um, as it were, have a laboratory for experience. You know, we can see things much, much more clearly than when we're out in daily life, you know, and things are coming thick and fast, things are happening here and there. We have no time to reflect on during those occasions what's happening. But in, uh, in terms of the, uh, the Noble Eightfold Path, this is the path the Buddha was teaching, there is the most important aspects. You know, all of them are very important. So right view, this wisdom view we're talking about this evening, keeping in mind the Four Noble Truths with our experience, can turn what we experience into wisdom, actually. Um, and Ajahn Brahm has a nice way of putting this, actually. He, he, he talks about our dukkha, our difficulties in life, our problems in life, as being the manure for wisdom, for the tree of wisdom, that grows the tree of wisdom. So he has this, this uh, funny stories when he... If you're walking in the street and, and you uh, walk on some uh, dog droppings or some other droppings, bird droppings, whatever it is, he said, don't shake it off, take it home and put it on the mango tree or the tree of wisdom and allow it to grow wisdom. Because really, 
This is actually, I think most people see this in the experience. It's the difficulties in our lives that make us grow. And this is really the manure of wisdom. You know, those difficulties, those problems we have. Even though at the time we could think, I don't need this. (laughs) We don't. We don't need this. And uh, it's very important to realize we don't need to add any suffering to our lives. It will come to us anyway. You know, the difficulties and problems will always be there. And that comes with being born. Uh, We get them free, as it were, a free gift. (laughs) So, but the point is to actually learn from them and to use them uh, and not to take them personally. Is because uh, if we take things personally, then it's really overwhelming. It's difficult. So the Buddha is emphasizing, you know, the aspect of wisdom. I must finish off soon, so we can start the meditation. The wisdom, and this is I mentioned the four noble truths, but understanding particularly cause and effect. This is the law of karma and so on. So realizing that there, um, that things arise from causes, and then uh, there are results. And this is particularly true of, you know, when we want to develop happiness, for instance. We have to find the causes for it. Just wishing to be happy is not enough. (laughs) In fact, that's a cause for suffering, isn't it? Really difficult, because if if you're wishing for being happy, you're not happy. You think, oh, I'll, I'll be happy, you know. But, of course, what we need to do with our lives is to find those things that bring up, create, cause um, happiness to arise in our minds. So this is a, the aspect of wisdom. And then right intention is an aspect we need. So we need this wisdom in our meditation, but right intention we need too. This is the second factor of the Noble uh, Eightfold Path. And this is the attitude, three attitudes really. And it's very true for meditation, very true for life too. The first one is to let go yeah, particularly in meditation of our attachment to the world of the senses, five senses, because meditation and the path of happiness is going inside, not outside. And it's our attachment to the world out there that makes um, makes it difficult for us to find the real happiness, the happiness, the source of happiness, really, that's it. And so this is a very important part. And it's also the aspect of giving rather than wanting to get from life. And this is a very important thing in meditation. When we want to give to the meditation, then it can develop. When we want to get from the meditation, there's lots of expectations. And the, uh, the other aspect of that is to have this, these positive mind states of you know, loving kindness, patience with ourselves, particularly when we're meditating. You know, loving kindness and these positive states of mind overcome the negative aspects of the mind that make meditation difficult. So this is a very important aspect of how we approach meditation, how we approach life, actually, not just the meditation. And also the third aspect of that is not harming, avihinsa, sankapa. And this is uh, wanting to help, uh, not harming or hurting ourselves or others. It's important to extend it to ourselves as well. So this is important on the path Uh, of meditation and also the path of our lives. And then, of course, the Buddha has the the aspect of the ethical behavior, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. And these are very important uh, in our daily life. And, 
to a certain extent too, even in our meditation. <laughs> because sometimes we can have very unkind speech to ourselves. And uh, uh, so there is inner speech that's happening. And so we can, we can recognize that and uh, be kind in our speech towards ourselves, be accepting. And the next aspect, the sixth, yeah, sixth aspect is the right effort. This is central to the whole of meditation, whole of life. And that is letting go of, avoiding and letting go of negative aspects of the mind and developing and maintaining positive ones. And this is, this is a whole, the center really of Buddhism actually. Um, and, and for happiness as well, for success in meditation. Because once we let go of the hindrances in meditation, once we've seen them, and we've identified them and can let go of them, and we can, uh, the meditation will develop. But a very good way to do that is by developing positive uh, aspects, mind states, like contentment, you know, contentment, thankfulness, this gratitude, uh, loving kindness, compassion, all these. If we develop those and maintain them, there's not much room for the, for the negative. And the last aspect, uh, no, second last aspect, right mindfulness. So very important in meditation. What we know, what we're experiencing. There's, there's no way we can develop wisdom if we have no idea what's going on here and now. And there's no way we can come to the happiness of just being present and not being in the past or the future. And lastly, when the mind, when that mindfulness is developed, when it becomes continuous, sometimes they liken it to the drop from a tap. When it becomes continuous, like a stream of water, it's like when the mindfulness becomes continuous, then it be the mind becomes very steady and still, and then the mind can go within itself. And then, very naturally, this joy and inner happiness arises because the mind is letting go of the negative aspects of the mind, letting go of the five senses, and everything's much, much simpler. It's like the mind is going on holiday. <laughs> within itself. So it's very, very happy. And the, the um, pinnacle of that experience, of course, is jhana, as I mentioned, these very deep meditations that are um, very blissful, uh, joyful, peaceful, um, still states of mind. So I'd like to just finish there and maybe just, well, let's see if there's... There's a comment from Ajahn Chah. There's always nice things uh, from Ajahn Chah. Yeah, maybe read that bit. As wisdom matures and we begin to understand in accordance with the truth, we will no longer be dragged up and down. Usually if we have a pleasant mood, we behave one way. If we have an unpleasant mood, we behave another way. We like something and we're up, and we dislike something and we're down. In this way, we are still in conflict with enemies. When these things no longer oppose us, they become stabilized and balanced out. There are no longer ups and downs or highs and lows. We understand these things of the world and know that it's just the way it is. It's just worldly dhammas. And this is a nice one I'll finish off with. So don't be in a rush. Don't be in a hurry and try to push or rush your practice. Do your meditation gently and gradually, step by step. In regard to peacefulness, if you want to become peaceful, then accept it. If you don't become peaceful, 
and accept that also. That's the nature of the mind. We must find our practice. We must find our own practice and persistently keep at it. So I'd like to finish there. And uh, are there any questions or? Good, good. So we can start the meditation in a minute. If we just uh, maybe we stand up for a moment, because that's quite good, just to get stretch the body for a little while. So, first of all, if we can just find the most comfortable position for the meditation. This is important, paying attention to how our feet and legs are placed. So they're comfortable whether sitting on a cushion or sitting on a chair. And uh, see if the hips are balanced, feel comfortable, and the back is reasonably straight but not tense. Shoulders are loose, we can move them around. And the arms hanging comfortably and the hands either on the lap or on the knees, however we find most comfortable and giving a sense of balance or support. And we can be aware of the the neck and the head, how it's positioned. Is it balanced? And is it comfortable? Sometimes people like to tuck the chin in a little. Just feeling what is balanced and comfortable for the meditation. And we can close the eyes just to make this easier. Getting in touch with how our bodies are. And we can 
bring to mind an intention to make peace with whatever we experience in the meditation, whether it be in the body or the mind, to make peace with it, in essence to accept what we are experiencing And we can get in contact with this feeling of making peace. What does it feel like? Not opposing, not rejecting. Now we can make peace with the body as it is, just going through the, the body from the top of the head to the tips of the toes, relaxing, soothing, giving attention to our bodies, moving from the top of the head slowly through the body to the feet, giving this kind mental massage to the body. And we can just experience the body sitting here, feeling how it is just to be sitting here in the present moment. We can let go of the past, what's happened, and let go of the future. We can leave them at the door with our shoes, just to be here present with the body making peace with whatever we experience in the body and in the present moment, whether it be feelings in the body, sounds, temperature of the air, temperature of the body, touch of clothes on our bodies, the pressure 
of sitting on a cushion or a chair, whatever it is. All these things here in the present moment, just sitting with the body and making peace, this feeling of making peace. And if thinking occurs or any unpleasant uh, mental states or physical states occur, making peace with them, with the thinking or whatever um, state of mind, state of body we're experiencing.
And when we are aware of it, when the breath comes to us, we can breathe in, making peace as we breathe in, and breathe out as we breathe out. We can make peace with the breath, the feeling of making peace, and the breath become one. Breathing in, making peace, and breathing out, making peace.
can reflect on what we experienced. What did we? What did I experience during the meditation? Were there any sense of unsatisfactoriness of things not being the way I wish? And to reflect on how we reacted to any sense of unsatisfactoriness. Did we want to get rid of it? Wipe it out. Or were we able to make peace with whatever we experienced? The unpleasant and the pleasant. And we can reflect on how we approached dealing with the unpleasant. What things helped us to be able to accept, make peace with things. And how did we feel when we were able to make peace with things that we don't necessarily want to experience in the meditation. Did we notice the mind letting go or making peace, what it felt like? And we can 
share the energy of this meditation with everyone here. Whatever peace, whatever wisdom, whatever letting go, whatever making peace happen during the meditation. You can spread that, share that with everyone here. Wishing that they can really come make peace and come to a deep sense of peace and stillness and wisdom within themselves and to radiate this wish to share this energy of meditation with all those around this center human beings, animals, the insects, all beings in the area around the center. And then to radiate that further and further so that it encompass, encompasses the whole earth and all realms of existence. So we wish for all beings to make peace with their experience, to end the war within. And to finish the meditation, we can make the wish or the aspiration to develop more of this ability to make peace with what we're experiencing here and now. Not just on the meditation, to take this into our lives. And to develop the wisdom that sees things rather than being caught up and being them. And now we can slowly come out of the meditation to open the eyes slowly and move the body to make ourselves that much more comfortable, more comfortable. So, this is the uh, the test time of the evening. Are there any questions? Any comments? Or complaints? 
The complaints always the interesting ones. <laughs> then they've really got into the Four Noble Truths in a big way. <laughs> Certainly not made peace with it, that's for sure. Yes, any questions? There we are. All right. Is that Sue? Yes. Yes. Thanks, Ajahn. Thank I have you. a question that how can we skillfully med- meditate um, in a situation that when you meditate, you realize that your, your breath is so gentle and you realize, oh, maybe I should breathe. And you realize that your body is actually quite, it's a control freak that wanted mm. to breathe heavily to be to be defined as briefing, but how can we let go of the control freak body and skillfully mm. relieve that thoughts? Mm. Yes. So, yes, I think uh, um, sometimes we can uh, be fearful. Maybe it's coming from fear, do you think? Fear, worry that... would. Ah, right. Yeah. So there has to be a breath. Has to be a breath there. All oh, right. So the the, the 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 point of meditation is not necessarily that the breath is there. That's not the point of meditation. Even though that can be our object of meditation, meditation is awareness of what we're experiencing, whatever we're experiencing, because we often you'll you'll probably have experienced it. Other meditators have experienced it. They experience that they can't notice the breath. The breath seems to have gone, and sometimes that can uh, cause worry for people. They 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 think, well, maybe I'm not breathing. And I have heard of meditators. Even one monk who told me that it really frightened him. You thought he'd stop breathing, but really, what's happened is our awareness that we're breathing is not there. It's not as refined as the breath has become. It's become very soft. But whatever we're aware of, that is meditation. So even the awareness. There's no breath, or I'm not aware of the breath is more accurate, actually. That is fine, that's fine. And sometimes when that uh, experience that there's no breath, we, we can't, we're not aware of the breath, there is a feeling that will come with it, and that can become the object of the meditation, because um, that is what we're experiencing. We're not really manufacturing the experience, we're, we're being natural with it. And uh, as I say, you know, as making peace with what we're experiencing, not trying to make it this way or that way, um, but just to be with whatever it is that we're experiencing. And to, because of that, you know, to um, understand to a certain extent what's going on in our experience, perhaps afterwards, you know, more likely afterwards. But uh, the objects of meditation are just a support for that awareness, really. That's it. So we can use different things, the feet, we can use the breath, uh, we can use the body, you know, the feeling of the body, we can use the present moment, um, we can use many different things um, medita- for meditation, you know, the loving kindness. In loving kindness, it can be you know, very thinking type of meditation, but it's really aimed at the feeling of loving kindness. So this then becomes the object. And it need not have a lot of words with it. If there's a feeling there, we can use that without a lot of words. So we're not, as I say, you know, if if there is not an awareness of the breath, 
not to uh, try and intensify it, make it stronger, so we can hold on to it. You know, we might be afraid that we're losing our awareness actually at those times, but if we just aware, if we pay attention to what is happening, that's 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 the anchor for our awareness in that situation. And uh, it doesn't have to be, the breath doesn't have to be very strong. Um, uh, it can just be as it is, you know, just as it is. So, and this is actually, you know, as you say, you know, being, is, it, we can be a control freak with it. And this is not being kind to, uh, to the breath, to our experience. Uh, it's trying to manipulate it, change it. It's actually bringing in that sense of... Um, Wanting it to be other than it is. <laughs> How it is now, that's it, you know. And this is uh, very useful for growing our wisdom because that's, that's how life is. It's not the way we wish it to be uh, quite often. And uh, in, in an actual fact, that's where we uh, develop a lot of our wisdom, actually, because of the untidiness of life, you know, that it's not the way we want it to be. And uh, that, and making peace with it, accepting it as it is, and when we can do that, we can accept ourselves as we are, because we, we're often not the way we want want ourselves to be, or other people. And that's a that's a, a very lost cause, isn't it? Trying to change other people, wanting to be another way, because we can't do that. They have to want to do it for themselves, you know, create the causes, conditions for change, and we can't do it for them. Uh, so this is. You know, part of um, you know, making peace with our experience. You know, not, not trying to manipulate it, not trying to uh, uh, wanting it to be other than it is at this moment. Of course, that doesn't mean that uh, um, we have to accept, you know, uh, this in the future. Because sometimes people say, "Well, you know, if you're being abused, yeah, accepting it's one thing, but then what about the future? You don't go on accepting." Uh, being abused, do you? And of course, that is not the practice. You know, you use your wisdom to see how best to deal with, say, an abusive situation in life. You know, if one is being, um, if experiencing in the present moment, that's what's happening now. And I like one American teacher, she said, you know, if somebody hits me, they hit me once, <laughs> and that's over, it's finished. You know, she doesn't carry it into the present moment. She's uh, beyond the present experience. And then she moves on and deals with it in whatever way is the best way to deal with it, you know, not letting it echo in the mind. So, so thank you for that for that question. I hope that was a, um, a good answer for it. Thanks. Yeah, we, we naturally, it, it goes against the grain. We always want to, you know, redesign life and rearrange it <laughs> to make it much tidier, actually. It would be, yeah, definitely. So if there are any other comments or questions. So I hope you're you know, able to use this wisdom of uh, the Four Noble Truths in your life. I think they're very practical, actually, very experiential, and uh, to recognize you know, that unsatisfactoriness in life and recognize what we do with it. You know, usually re reject it. We want to rearrange it. We only want things the way we want, and we certainly want them pleasant, not unpleasant. Uh, we want the way we like, and not the way we don't like. That's what we're after. And of course, life won't cooperate. <laughs> it always comes with a mixture of those things. And of course, you know, the, uh, 
the uh, secret to uh, letting go of that is this making peace, accepting things as they are at this moment. They don't have to be like that forever. Um, but at this moment, that's actually what's happening. So it's arrived. <laughs> and uh, if we accept it and, and don't reject that, then we can make peace with it and then move on from there. And of course, to see the way we've developed this understanding. This is like for the Buddha, the Noble Eightfold Path. So his Four Noble Truths is like uh, a medical, it's a, very, it's a medical model actually, that we see what the problem is, what the disease is. Then we see the cause of that disease. We see what is actually the way, the medicine for that disease or the treatment, you might say, because it might not be a medicine. And then we look at the way to achieve that treatment or to, or to get that medicine, develop that medicine. So this is what the Four Noble Truths is about. And the Buddha's path is always about direct experience because, as I say to people, the Buddha's wisdom, it was his wisdom. It's not a house, but it's a good guide. And it's for us to, to experience directly in our own way, in our own language, in our own experience and uh, the various cultures we find ourselves in. so But it is a timeless teaching, so that wisdom applies wherever, anywhere, anytime, any culture. So, And that is the beauty of a Buddha, because they see the human predicament, the human uh, situation from a, a standpoint outside of it. An enlightened being is standing outside of a lot of the suffering we associate with the human life and the, the difficulties, but they can see it so clearly and then have the compassion to want to help others develop the way out of that situation. So may you do that and may your meditation deepen with this wisdom and understanding and may it inform your life to life, the way you experience life. May you make peace with life. There we are. Thank you very much. And we can, and for, and those who would like to, we can just uh, pay respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha.